Good morning, everyone. I'm going to be reading John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Thank you, Tiffany. Uh, We've got... um a special treat today. Our brother Jason Milani is going to be preaching for us, uh, giving the sermon. And just for you to be aware, um, we we place a high, one of our values in our church, we want to continue to see how we can develop more preachers. That's Maybe that's a personal passion, but even in our church, we, we want to train different people to be able to uh, give the word of God. And, and we've got the blessing to be able to hear from Jason today. Um, just for you to be aware, in case anyone is, is, um, has different thoughts of what it means to preach, we do not let people just get up here without any kind of preparation. To, if anyone says, yeah, you know, I got a word. Um, he's not just kind of pulling together something. He's been working on this for a while, working very hard. One of the things I love and admire about Jason, he's got a really, really strong work ethic. And we are blessed that he leads us in our music ministry. Um, and I've seen firsthand as he's been working on this sermon, um, he might have some bitterness working with me because I, I drive him pretty hard. I make him, I'm like, okay, you're not just getting up there to do this. We're going to work on this well. So he's worked really hard here. So um, we're honored to be able to share that. So let's, uh, let's ask the Spirit to do good things. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. We'll see if everybody's honored afterwards. We'll, we'll see. Um, would you all, I don't have slides prepared. I actually wanted to go through the practice of, of going through text in the Bible. So if you look in, behind your pew, um, would you open up your Bibles to page 760? And we're going to be reading out of John chapter 4 today. And I entitled this message, Worshiping the God Who Knows Us. And as you're, as you're turning there, um, I realize that um, I'm the guy who gets up here uh, and, and sings. Dave actually made a joke. He's like, you want to use my guitar so you feel comfortable while you're speaking? Um, I'm that guy. So those of you who are new, this is my first time preaching. But um, this message has actually been in, like, I've just been sitting on this for years. And so, yeah, it's no joke preparing this. Um, so as you guys all might not know me, you may be attending the church. You may just associate me with a guy who plays the, the guitar and, um, and sings. But like all of us, there's a lot more to us than just what we see, right? Uh, I'm a father of four daughters, right? Jenna, Nora, Leah, and Lila. There they are. Um, they're awesome. It's always a party at the Milani family. Um, in that Milani house, my wife and I will be, uh, she's been putting up with me uh, in July. It'll be 16 years. So uh, it's been wonderful. Um, she likes a, a lot of attention, so I'm going to keep talking about her. Um, no, that's, but, but actually I don't, I don't, I, I'm not a full-time musician. I have worked with startups. So I actually worked with a musical instrument startup, but I'm actually an outside sales rep. So most of you might not know that I actually sell uh, medical device. I've been in medical device for the past 12, 13 years in the areas of GI and also recently in pulmonary, so airway. I'm actually in cases with patients as the doctor is, is working on patients. And I, I cover Maryland, Delaware, and central Pennsylvania. I go as far as uh, up as Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and actually up into Binghamton. And um, 
So I have a lot of time on the road, and I get to think a lot about worship and what we do here and why it's so formative, right? Worship is very formative. It can shape us. Our practices can shape us. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, but, the, but the truth is, is there's lots of different layers. And as we read in, in John 4, there's more than what meets the eye to this woman and Jesus as well, right? Um, so would you follow along with me, John 4, um, 5 through 9. It says, So he came to a town of Samaria, called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So as we as we start off, right, the context is is interesting. One, if, if you actually look behind, actually looking through, rather, on the fifth verse, it says it was about the sixth hour. So that would place it around 12 o'clock. Okay, so it's 12 o'clock. This woman is alone at this well, and this Jewish man happens upon this woman. Now, we need to stop here and recognize the divide between Jews and Samaritans, right? We actually have a hospital called Good Sam, Good Samaritan Hospital. Right? That's drawn from reference from the scripture. You can also remember when Jesus told the parable about the Good Samaritan. That was so groundbreaking because Jews and Samaritans did not deal with each other at all. Jews were considered first upper echelon class. Samaritans were considered second class. Right? There was some socioeconomic divide or possible economic. There was some just, there was a rift between Jews and Samaritans. So one, the fact that Jesus journeyed through Samaria was interesting. That tells you that Jesus doesn't mind breaking the rules. Number two, a man was addressing a woman, right? This would have been interesting as well because that was just not their culture. It's not like I can walk up to Meredith and say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? It just wasn't the common practice, right? So this woman is, would, would have understood his dialect or his, the way he spoke. And she said, wait a minute, you're a Jewish man, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you talking to me? Why are you talking to me? And I'm by myself, right, at this well, right? It's not like she's just going to walk down to Royal Farms and get a bottle of water and come back. No, she's at this well, unprotected, right? She didn't travel with a group. We don't know why she's here. Scripture doesn't reveal it, we just know that she is. So Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 10, if you look with me, please. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus answers her, 
and, and starts to reveal, as he so often does in Scripture, he starts to reveal who he is, inch, moment by moment, inch by inch. He starts to reveal, just, hey, I'm different than what you see. There's a lot more to me than meets the eye. And he says that he has living water. Now, this confuses the woman, right? And frankly, it would have confused all of us, right? Jesus comes, says, I have something that you don't even know of. So whether she means it by either a tenacious attitude or an earnest attitude, she's somewhat challenging his authority. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Right? She's name-dropping here, as we like to call it. She's name-dropping. She's like, ah, uh, my father's Jacob. Right? And to those of you who might not know, Jacob was part of the original covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? So he was the son of Isaac. So she's saying, yeah, um, that's my father. Are you greater than him? Little does she know, he is. Right? He is. So whether she's challenging him out of an attitude of desire, we just don't know. But Jesus does answer her in verse 13 says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, that I will give, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So again, he's revealing himself who he is. Now he's talking about, he pointed to the well when he says, anybody who drinks from this well water, you're just going to be thirsty. But he points to himself and says, I imagine him pointing to himself rather and saying, any water that I give him, he's talking about salvation. Living water welling up, Right? So this woman asks for living water. We don't know exactly the context, but she's, she's wanting to know, okay, give me this living water, right? I, I, I want it. Give it to me. Jesus responds to her with an answer which would have really tilted us all sideways. He says, go, in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. I imagine time would have stopped for her. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, and I imagine he's saying it to her in a, not in an accusation, because Jesus, with people who are broken, people who are weary, weary, typically responds to those with more of a comforting attitude, whereas he responds to the Pharisees with more of a ferocious attitude. So I imagine him saying to her, you're right. In what you say, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. I'm wondering the, the, the gap of time when this woman realizes that Jesus saw right through her. All of her phony baloney, whatever, he saw right through to the core of who she was. Well, not necessarily who she was, but what she was doing. Because who she is, eventually, as Scripture would say, is a child of the living God. Time froze for her as she asked for living water. And keep in mind that if you remember the story when the woman, the adulterous woman, was found in the act, everybody wanted to stone her. 
That was the culture. So she asks for living water, and here's what she gets, a possibility of death, right? It would not have been out of the possibility of her town figuring out, hey, this woman, this woman, we caught her in the act. She's got five husbands. Pick up the stones. Can you imagine wanting to engage with this individual and say, yeah, I, I want living water. Okay, fine. Here's a death sentence. It would have hit you right between the eyes. The next verse, verse 19, is, is, has perplexed me so much. Because her response to Jesus seeing right through her is, the woman said to him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Of course, no kidding. Um, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. This verse has puzzled me for most of my life. Um, it's as if, have you all been to our house? Our house right in Remington, right? So let's just say that we're having a conversation about our house. Uh, and we're talking about whatever, shrimp tacos, right? Well, I like the shrimp tacos. We're having a conversation about what food you like. Oh, I like the, you know, the, the, the bowls, the Mongolian bowls or the Buddha bowls. I, I like that. And so we're having a conversation about food. And then I just simply ask in the course of our conversation, so what's your, what's your view on Donald Trump's foreign policy? It, it would not have flown. It would not have been fl- a, a fluid conversation. It, it would have been very awkward, right? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. And so I started thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. This worship, this, this woman is asking about worship. See, it, And her approach to worship, okay, her approach to worship is to go either on this mountain or in Jerusalem, right? This mountain in Jerusalem. And the practice was is to sacrifice an animal, to make atonement for sin. I've got a beef with God. God's got to get a beef against me. He's found me out. Where do I worship? And this question is awesome because she is displaying the most faith because here's what she's asking. I know I run the risk of death. How do I make it right with God? She asks, how do I make it right with God? There's something wrong. I don't care if they stone me. I'm going in deep. She could have walked away. She, she could have walked away. She had no relational investment with Jesus. She had no idea who this guy is. She goes in deep. What faith we see here. I mean, she asks the burning question. She might have been at this well thinking about how she's given herself away to these guys. So she asked the burning question, how do I make it right with God? I think we constantly ask that question. And we constantly need to be reminded of the gospel. That worship is not something as a matter of where I go to worship but that we are worshipers pouring ourselves out to a God who has good news for us. Jesus responds with that good news. In verse 21, read with me, please. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now 
here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking, for the Father is seeking, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now here is, here is where traditionally I've heard this passage being preached and where pastors and worship leaders take off, right? And I don't know whether it's a Western church mindset, but we, like, we, have, the, we have the formula. Spirit and truth, spirit and truth. So, all right, fine. Okay, spirit and truth. Great, now I'm worshiping, right? I think that, I know that I have a tendency to do that. But Jesus turns her definition of spirit and truth, of worship rather, on its axis, right? He goes from, it doesn't matter where, it's spirit and in truth. I'll, I'll submit to you a few, a few things as I've been driving in the, in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and just praying, asking God, what does spirit and truth mean? Yeah, we, we do follow that format, right? We do have a format. God has given us, he gave us this format, spirit and in truth. But we come here every Sunday to worship God, as Pastor Dan mentioned, right, not long ago. We gather every week because it's very formative, right? We remember the gospel. God is holy. We've sinned against him. Jesus saves us. Jesus sends us. But this whole idea of spirit and truth is to recognize that, yeah, we are spirit and God is spirit. And yes, Jesus is the, tr- the way and the truth and the life. No one father comes to the Father. Okay, well, well that, if I truly believe that, that means I could do a lot in spirit and truth. So we don't come here to worship God, but as worship, as worshipers, we gather here every Sunday. Okay? Let me make that distinction. Right? We don't come here necessarily just to worship God. And what I mean that is, it's not as if worship happens only between the hours of 10 and 12 o'clock every Sunday. But we are constantly pouring ourselves out all the time into who we worship and what we worship. Constant. We're spirit and the truth. Additionally, I was thinking about this true. Yeah, so if in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, it says, if the spirit of the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So if I worship out of spirit, and if I not only worship Jesus in the truth of not only who he is, but I also can worship him out of the truth of who I am, that means that I can worship God in the liberty out of who I am. See, I think so many times I get caught up in even being like, oh gosh, am I, am I worshiping or not worshiping? Right? Am I in it or am I out it? Is he... Is he in favor with me? Am I in this sort of flow of worship or am I out of favor with God? And for me recently, it's been about worshiping out of the honesty and vulnerability of who I am. Not necessarily just victorious tones that we can make here Sunday morning. And sometimes worship is tears. I found myself um, several times within the past... 15 years, right? We've moved like seven times. My family and I have dealt with some ups and downs, as you all have been. 
I remember being frustrated with God. And if I believe that I worship out of the Spirit of God and the truth of who I am, frankly, sometimes the truth of who I am is not really pretty. I remember being frustrated, saying to God, here I am, a man in his late 30s, still struggling with the same things, the same temptations, the same faults. I'm a real, if you guys didn't know, I'm a real passionate guy, just so you know. Um, sometimes my words can get the best of me. That's why I went over and over and over this so many times. But sometimes I can get frustrated with myself. Like the truth about me sometimes is not great. And I'm just remember asking God, man, God, why did you make me the way I am? Not blaming God, but just more of a, a reality. I'm confronted with, man, you're so passionate, Jason. Sometimes you lose your anger. You lose your temper, right? Sometimes you just caught up into stupid stuff. Ugh, why did I do that again? Are you kidding me? I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. I remember the next day God saying this to me in Psalm 139 as it was spoken on this platform not long ago. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. He knows me. For you formed my inward parts and knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Recently I've, I've seen people in this church, worship out of the reality of where they are and who they are. See, I think that in church today, in Christendom culture, we are tempted to be something we're not. Right? And by the way, that was the original, one of the original sins other than disobedience. But Adam and Eve wanted to be somebody different than who God created them to be. And today we face the same temptations through social media from lying to our resume, we are tempted to be somebody different than who we were made to be. And I've just been asking myself, what does it mean for me to be Jason Milani and double down on that and have God sanctify me and to accept the faults and failures that I'm dealing with this flesh but know that I go on to a greater eternity once I die? If I can worship out of that truth, man, that's... That's exciting. Where I don't have to put on a front, I don't have to convince another person on Facebook that I'm cool or hip, that I'm getting old, (laughs) like it's going to happen to every one of us, that I'm sometimes not cool, that sometimes I lose my temperature, temperature, my temper, lose my temperature all the time. We're constantly tempted. But the, uh, the antidote to that temptation is honesty and vulnerability. Now, I want to make a a clear distinction between openness and true honest and vulnerability that we can worship out of 24-7. See, I think that we've done a very good job of manipulating, not us here, but I'm just talking about the U.S. church. I think that we've been given a lot, right? Sometimes we can hide behind that and... We can sort of say, yeah, I can come in with all my possessions. I can dress up, maybe look the part, say the part. I can drop all the hallelujahs all I want. I could be open, right? But if I'm not 
if I'm not available to meaningful grace and change, then I can just use my openness as a manipulative tactic to change everybody's thoughts about who I am. And Jesus, like he sees through the woman, sees right through me. I want to encourage you all that as we worship, as we gather, God sees right through you. And guess what? He's not scared. And in that moment when I got Psalm 139, yeah, 139, I, I remember being laid bare. Openness. I can manipulate others as worshiping out of vulnerability. And right now, within some circles, vulnerability is being really talked about. But I'd like to submit to you the definition uh, from Andy Couch. Vulnerability is exposure to meaningful risk. You all need to know that as we gather here every Sunday, my expectation is not for every hand to be lifted here or how loud we can get it. That's, that's, that's not what I'm going for. That, again, could be another form of just being merely open. But, but can we create a context that from the, from the 24-7 that we bring into this place two hours a week, is this place safe for us to be us? We got a lot of different people here, which is great. And by the way, us being us may look a little messy. It may look a little messy, but it also doesn't mean that we're just admired in our brokenness, right? Being vulnerable doesn't mean that we're just admired in our brokenness. Oh, look at that person. They're broken. They're, they're vulnerable. No, it means that we open ourselves up to healing. And that's what I want. I want, and I want that for me because I need to get healed of some stuff. I want that for all of all, all of us. For healing. I, I, and by the way, as we get ready to plant a church, what if, what if people that were sent out weren't sent out out of obligation? Oh, God says to go ahead and make disciples. Therefore, I need to go make disciples. What if it could be a possibility that we receive healing And from that healing, we could be healing through the grace of God and through the Spirit of God to a very hurting and dark world. You see how worship and evangelism, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You just be who you are. And that could be really tough, by the way. Me being me, it's not not an easy thing. You can ask my wife. The woman was honest. The woman was honest. So Jesus tells her in spirit and in truth. The woman responds with, in verse 25, and I imagine that she asks in a hopeful desire, hopeful desire. She says, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Well, it was at that moment, if you actually read on, She leaves her water jar and runs into the town. And she says, come see a man who told me everything about myself. Which was really interesting. She was educated to the point, either she read about the Messiah, she read about Jesus, or she heard teaching in the synagogue of this guy who was going to come. He was the Messiah. And in that town, that was code. The Messiah was, he would teach us all things. Now, what was really interesting is that Jesus didn't, 
teacher all things. He didn't. It's not like he sat down. He's like, okay, you were born in such and such a date. Your parents are from here. You're here. He didn't mention any of that. He went to the core and he saw through all of it. He saw her in her vulnerability and he offered her living water. It it was amazing that this woman received the truth of the gospel, ran into town and the people of the town responded to her. And they went and they said, not only do we believe because of your testimony, but we have heard and seen for ourselves that he is the Messiah. People receive Jesus out of this woman's vulnerability and possible honesty. I mean, it's possible suffering. She might have been internally suffering. When I think about honesty and vulnerability, I can't not think of Jesus. When I think about the God who became flesh, who knew he was going to be vulnerable. I mean, we're not talking about some Greek mythology who has like maybe an Achilles heel that they're trying to cover up. Jesus came down in apparent vulnerability. And he didn't do so by, by just being messy. He did so by showing who he was, revealing to himself evermore. He did it when he came down in flesh, possible to die. Can you imagine just being a, a God who didn't die, and now you came down and you could be, you could be, you could die. He did it at the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, one of the most intimate times we see Jesus sweating blood. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, we could do this. If we could do this any other way. I mean, when I think about the honesty and the vulnerability of Jesus talking to the Father, we could do it any other way, please, but not what I want. It's what you want. And then finally, as he's crucified on a cross, think about the most vulnerable display. I mean, this is why I I love worshiping the hero of Jesus, because he displayed such strength in vulnerability at the same, same time of forgiving the people who were murdering him. And he became the sacrifice for us all. If you don't know Jesus, we would love to communicate the gospel to you one-on-one. But just know, know this, as we gather here weekly to pray, to sing, to listen to the word of God, Preached to take the sacraments as we remember God. We're doing this, that remembering that God is seeking worshipers as Jesus was seeking the woman who was hurt and in pain. That God, right now, you may think that you're coming to a place, God is already seeking you. When you wake up tomorrow morning, he's seeking you. When you're driving, he's seeking you. Desiring for him to be the one that we pour ourselves out to. All the time. Additionally, God is eager to heal us. It says that he's close to the broken heart and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God heals us so that we can be sent out and used as a means of healing to others. That we don't have to do, we don't have to work more, but as we receive healing, we can worship in spirit and truth to the living God. Would you all pray with me?
Jesus, I want to first thank you for these stories. Like this woman who is not afraid to look you in the eye and talk about her vulnerability and her, who she was. Father, I thank you that you are close to us right now and you see right through us. And you are not scared, surprised, or frustrated as to who we are, who you made us to be. As we journey on today, help us to be who we were created to be. Help us to resist temptation to be something else, somebody else. We thank you that right now we get to worship out of the spirit of who you are, in the liberty that you're here, and out of the truth of who you are and the truth of who we are. We thank you, Father. Amen.